0: You're listening to Journaling with P.T. I am your host, artist, P.T. Russell. Thank you for listening. This is a podcast that highlights creative voices and emerging artists from all over the world. Please stay tuned as I interview filmmaker Paul Osborne. Enjoy. Welcome to the Journaling with P.T. podcast. So happy to have you here today. And I have a wonderful guest. Filmmaker Paul Osborne is joining us. He has produced an impressive collection of feature films over the course of his career. His titles include Cruel Hearts, Favor, a documentary called Official Rejection, and more recently, the black comedy Fluorescent Beast. Paul, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: (laughs) This is awesome. Love the intro. (laughs) Yes, thank you for your patience, and it's great having you here. It's an honor. I am a fan of film, and I know those who are listening who may be creatives and emerging artists and just lovers of art in general who will be listening and wanting to know more about the production of film. And so what have you seen recently, Paul?
1: What have I seen recently? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I I saw a couple of really good movies. I saw The Holdovers finally, which is uh, I thought was pretty terrific, um, mm-hmm. which just swept the Golden Globes. Well, not an entire sweep, but a pretty good solid sweep. Um, uh, I saw American Fiction with Jeffrey Wright, which is terrific. Um, yeah, I just seen a you know a, a few films. I saw um, Are You There God? It's Me Margaret, which I was surprised at how good that film was, and no one's really. Talking about it for awards, but I mean, it's a really well-made, well-acted, uh, unusually strong movie for a coming-of-age film. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I've I've seen a few good things recently, but it's award season. All you know, all the they're holding back all the really good stuff till now. So,
0: <laughs> I, I'm in the, the writers'
1: you. guild, so I get all the screeners. So I'm oh. kind of powering through them. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Poor Things, which is the new Emma Stone oh, movie. Oh, I heard a lot about that. Yeah, which um, I'm in London right now and it opens here on Friday, so i hoping mm-hmm. to catch it this weekend.
0: Yeah, Emma Stone recently won a Golden Globe for Best yeah. Actress in yeah. a comedy musical, I believe, the category yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so that's great. I've heard a lot of things. I haven't seen it yet, but looking forward to it most definitely. In fact,
1: um, mm-hmm. Patrick Day, who's been in three of my films, uh-huh. is also an acting coach, and he coached Emma Stone.
0: Oh, isn't that something? Yeah. Wow. He's really good, though. He is really good. Um,
1: he's Emma Stone good.
0: <laughs> I like that. I like that. He is an excellent actor from what I've seen. I,
1: I I agree. That's why I keep bringing him back.
0: Yeah, I don't blame you. When you find gold, you stick with it. Well, it's
1: funny. I I um we're talking about pa- Patrick Day has been he's been acting for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he if you've ever seen um, Ernest Goes to Camp, yes. he's the main kid in Ernest Goes to Camp. Oh, so no way. <laughs> everybody watching, they go, wait, what? It's been recently released on, I think it's back on Disney+. Plus. So go check it out. This goes to camp, Patrick oh. Day. He's, um, he's been acting since then. Um, but I, I, I knew him socially. And then I was invited to the uh, cast and crew screening of a film called Waiting for Ophelia that he's in. Mm. And I'd never seen him on screen. And the, it's a really good movie. But he, he just blew my socks off. He's so strong in the film. I was like, "Oh my god, I know this like you know Gene Hackman level, you know Lee (laughs) J. Cobb level uh, uh, actor just in my midst." Like I'm like, "I should, I gotta write something for him." So I was all like, "I'm gonna write something for you," (laughs) and he was like, "Oh yeah, sure, kid. You know, like (laughs) like, sure, sure, sure. Of course you are." And then and then we did, and I wrote something for him. So uh, yeah,
0: yeah, I I loved him in the films, and anyone who's listening. You have to check out the films. Okay. Especially Favor. That's my favorite anyway. That's my personal oh, favorite. You. I think, but,
1: did, you, did, you, did you see Favor on Prime?
0: I saw Favor on Tubi, actually.
1: Okay, Favor, yeah. Favor's on Tubi. Uh, I think mm-hmm. Girl Arts is also on Tubi, um, which is, you know, I mean, if you don't mind a few ads, it's free. So free is always good.
0: Yes. I, and I'm sure they will check it out. Uh, who's listening? That'd be great. You don't want to miss out on the wonderful... Goodies in both films, at least uh, that are readily available. Uh, awesome. Yeah. So, Paul, can you recall when your passion for for filmmaking began? Was there a defining moment or uh birth? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I like that. Kind of. Okay. Always knew. Uh, I always knew. One. I mean, ever since I can remember, I wanted to be uh, in the pictures, kid. Um, but when I was younger, when I was really small, I really wanted. I wanted to be an actor because Mm -hmm. that's when you're little, that's who you see doing all the things, Mm -hmm. you know? And when I got a little older, uh, I realized, oh, actually they're not just making this up as they go along. (laughs) There is a script and there's a director and there's a, you know, and the shots are being selected by someone that's not necessarily the actor. And so, um, I realized that I wanted to be the one telling the story behind the camera. pretty early on. Also, I sucked as an actor. Mm. Uh, there's that. Um, I doubt that. I, well, no, you, you doubt it all you like. It's true. Um, <laughs> and I, and I have ai am I'm kind of brain is wired to write. I would, you know, write all the time. So I'm like, well, this makes more sense. Um, no, I auditioned for Danny in the shining when I was a kid. I had Did a, you? Uh, that yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. If you see the, if you see the, the, the documentary film worker, which is about Liam Vitale, who was uh kubrick's right-hand man um he was he talks about going to denver and interviewing you know doing screen tests for all these kids for danny because they wanted kids that were from the region and i remember meeting him as a kid <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and going oh yeah this english guy and um and having the screen test and the whole bit and then when i saw the doc I'm like
0: that was that's the guy that's him yeah. i met it must Leon have been a great experience though uh,
1: yeah, it's well. I mean, I totally, I totally botched the, the <laughs> I botched oh, okay. it, um, but I, I, at least I have the, you know, I can say a Kubrick saw me and went, no, that's, uh, I guess that's, that's flying pretty high. I like it.
0: Yeah, to get in front of yeah. Kubrick's eyes, even for a no, it's pretty it, good. Yes. Yeah, and I'm sure there was something that you might have learned from that experience, possibly. Um, more so now. I mean, more about the
1: nature of acting because mm-hmm. I, I knew I was my mom had read the book. Well, she'd read, I think she'd read Carrie, Stephen King's first book. And then when I got the audition, she read the second book because she loves Stephen King. And she was like, look, it's it's a a, a haunted house movie. It's about a haunted hotel. And she kind of gave me the rundown in kid terms of what the movie was about, what the script, what the book was about, what the movie would be about. And so I knew it was scary haunted hotel ghosts. And I was like any other kid, you know, hiding under my sheets, afraid of the dark, you know, all flashlight, all the things every kid does. <clears throat> so, but I thought, oh man, I, I can't, I can't, you know, let them know that I'm afraid of the dark because then they won't hire me because they're going to be filming in the dark. I don't know why mm-hmm. I'd thought they be filming in the dark. It's ridiculous. You can't film in the dark, but I'm a kid. So I figured they're going to put me in a scary room, turn the lights off. And I, I was to act scared. So I shouldn't actually be scared. You know, does that make sense? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. In terms, like if you know anything about acting at all, you mm-hmm. know that you want to be scared. You want to, yes, I'm terrified of the dark. I want to channel those emotions. And you want to pull from that. Well, but I was like, I'm going to not be afraid so I can be on set and not be a problem and do the acting. So, <laughs> so he was trying to provoke a fear, a scare out of me. Like what scares you? Trying to get me talk about what scares me to elicit, at least some kind of a fear response they can see you know they could you know get me to act. And really. uh and of course I was brave nope, nothing scares me. I was bald brave faced about it. So at the time I that's not so really think about it. I know it's sad but cute. But now that I understand how acting works, like, oh no, you I should have absolutely gone the other way and dove into it and let him frighten me and showed him what I can do. And mm-hmm. yeah. But yeah. You know, so yeah, but as an adult now knowing how acting a better idea of how acting actually works and having directed actors. <laughs> yes.
0: Have you directed kids I, yet?
1: I, I have directed, I've directed kids. It's, you have to kind of, um, I mean, it depends on the kid. Some kids you right, can right. talk to like adults and they're great. Other kids, you have to kind of lead them and kind of, you know, you have to kind of, um, create a different sort of environment, you know, something a little looser where they're allowed to kind of be more themselves. And, and, uh, you know, but kids are, you know, the nice thing is that with kids, you don't really have to talk down to them. They understand what you're what you're doing. You just have to kind of be frank with them in a different way. And when they're kid actors, you can talk to them like they're adults most of the time. You know, um, you can pretty much say, "I want this. I want this." And they go, "Okay," you know.
0: Oh, that's great. I it's a lot of good goodies. I wasn't expecting about you and acting. That's awesome.
1: <laughs> well, there you go. well,
0: I mean, I, you have to know. <laughs>
1: You have to be good at acting, but you have to understand how actors work in order to direct actors well, which really, honestly, has got out of their way.
0: Honestly, yeah, sorry. but that was when you were a kid. Would you revisit it in the future, do you think? What do you mean? Oh, acting? acting? Yeah. Uh, Directing uh, yourself?
1: Probably <laughs> not. I'm a good I'm a ham. I'm a good ham, okay. but I'm not really a, a good actor. Okay. Um, I lack the uh, ability to... Because when you're acting at least for screen actors, it really is this this double um, walk is you have to, you know, forget about the cameras, forget about the mics, forget about the fakeness and get into the head of the character and what they want and what they're doing, where they're going. And you have to kind of, you know, make it as real for yourself as possible. You have to kind of believe the lie. But at the same time, you have to be a 100% aware of your marks and that you've pre-memorized lines and where the camera is and where your light. You have to do both things simultaneously, forget all that stuff and remember it at the same time. And that requires, an, I think, an incredible level of focus um, and why it's such a skill. Um, you know, if you're working with a first-time actor or a non-professional actor, the way to kind of get around that is to not have them memorize lines, is to allow them to to give them an intention. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Basically what you want to say, but allow them to put it in their own words and not worry about the blocking. Let them kind of be loose because then they're not thinking about that stuff and they can let go and respond more to the other scene partner. But if you have a a trained actor who's hitting their marks and doing their lines, they have to remember, they have to hear something they've heard 130 times as if they're hearing it for the first time, react to it, honestly respond to it honestly but with a line they pre-memorized all right. the, all the while making sure they're standing where the tape x is are in focus and also making sure they've turned their head right enough to the camera to play it like it's it's really challenging and, and the and, you know little thing there's a great um i think often mocked mm-hmm. <laughs> youtube video with uh, michael kane describing how film acting works and not like how you, you know, where your eye line should go and how you look at one actor's eye and all these little technical things. And film acting is particularly technical. So I'm happy to be behind the camera and tell someone else how to do it.
0: <laughs> and I'm happy to, to have you to learn all of these little tidbits because this is, I don't, you don't get, you don't often get this perspective you uh, know us as lay people yes i'm an artist but not a, a photographer or a filmographer or anything like that so this is just oh, God, I'm, glad I'm
1: i'm gonna be giving you good stuff but um a trained train. actor they know what they're doing and and really honestly it's you come to kind of figure out what their process is and give them whatever helps them mm-hmm. uh feed into it if they want to do a lot of rehearsal then you do a lot of rehearsal if they want to see it for the first time ever out loud on set that's what you do. And every actor is a little bit different. Their preparation is like a fingerprint. So you have to kind of, and you can often just ask them, like, you know, it's not like a secret you have to mystify, like, what do you need? Some actors can express it, some can't, but for the most part, every actor has their own process and where they're like, some actors are better on the first take, some actors are better on take 10 and they, and they want to go, they want the camera. You turn the camera and get their close-ups last because they feel they can work into it. Some actors burn out, and you want to get their close-ups first. And you just kind of figure out what they need, and then your job is just to facilitate that with everything else and get out of their way, let them take ownership of the characters, and just kind of keep them keep them on the canvas, you know. But for the most part, you know, they should know more about what your character, what their character is going through, than the director does.
0: Good stuff. Yeah, so speaking about, this is uh, your your skill as a director. Um, that's uh, amazing. But uh, I'd like to, to know a little bit more about your screenwriting process. Uh, typically, oh, sure. how long does a production take from, like, the script to the screen?
1: Uh, wow. Well, I mean, it for me, it takes a while because... Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't f- have material come to me. I write my own material. <laughs> wow. So that's, I, I, I create my own stuff. So that's, that adds a fairly, you know, a lengthy part of the process findings. And I write, usually I'll write a, i will write up I tend to get into a burst and write a bunch of scripts and like over a period of eight months or whatever a year. And then I, this one that like, okay, this is the one I think that I've invested enough that I'm going to spend the next couple more years making it, and the other ones are, you know, so <laughs> someone wants to buy them, they're for sale. <laughs> I'm in the Writers Guild, <laughs> um, but uh, um, the production can take a while, especially on. I mean, an in independent production on a low budget. It's it's all it's all it, You know, me and my my wife, who's my producing partner, it's all us. So it's conception fundraising, setting it up, pre-production, production, post-production. Um, it can take a while. It can take, it can take a few years. Yeah, for sure. So, and, and often we don't start the next one until the first ones, at least as a movie completed, if not, you know, in distribution, because, you know, once the film's done as, you know, getting involved with the marketing and getting involved with, you know, festivals and getting involved with, um seeking distri- which on Flu and Beast is what we're doing right now we're seeking distribution. we're talking to distributors uh, and taking meetings and f- working out that's going to work and then once we sign with them, then we have to prep deliverables and then go through that whole process and then there's promoting it before it comes out and all of this stuff takes up your bandwidth. so if we had a, a bigger company or more money, we could stack these a little bit better, but we don't. so it does take a little while to get them done and, and so it's actually honestly it's bit frustrating to not be able mm-hmm. to to make more movies more rapidly um i suppose if i didn't care about <laughs> the quality of them I'd turn them out a lot faster you know but i'm sitting here obsessing about things but we see too
0: many of those ones we don't need to see any more of those ones you want to enjoy yours
1: those i just feel like if there's like something much. that you know if i know it's not right I, I got to kind of keep going you know Mm -hmm. and when you're making when you're raising your money writing your own scripts and and there's no distributor lined up you kind of don't have a a deadline and you always should set deadlines for yourself but they're they're, unfortunately they're mobile they move um when you don't when you don't have you know um we don't have a firm release date
0: yeah and Many listeners may not be familiar with what an independent film is and the disparity between that and a big budget film. Would you mind explaining a little bit more?
1: Well, yeah, sure. So um, uh, independent film simply means a film made outside of an established motion picture company, like a studio. So, um, and you'll find that, you'll find it bastardized a lot. I think in the early nineties, when Sundance took off, a, a bunch of, Uh, up-and-coming well it was really it was the Weinsteins (laughs) they they were the ones who said look hey we have this up-and-coming small mini studio and we can make movies but we can also acquire movies and oh look it's a festival where all these smaller budget films are coming out and we can acquire a bunch of them and 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 it's cheap to cheap to acquire they're cheaply made and they're you know and we can have them right away and we can we can you know Get them out of the world and we can make a story out of the fact that we discovered this movie and use that to promote it. And that made Sundance a hit. And that made that created this indie feeding frenzy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the studios realized, oh, that's a great way to market films. So they started taking films that that were less obviously commercial that they'd made, like awards type films, and they would premiere them in Sundance and call them indie. They're not actually indie. Indie literally means a film made independently of the established system right so um there's different kinds of indies there are indie companies that are are smaller and don't have a lot of um you don't have any ties to the big studios or, or distribution is smaller or not lined up and they'll go out with those they'll, go, they'll make films on a regular basis but they have a lot of money coming in or you have the more what i do which is the an actually independent filmmaker. I have a company, but I don't, we're not constantly churning out movies. Mm. We, you know, when we make a project, we go out and raise the money for that particular project and we're raising it from some of some crowdfunding, some of some private investors, or corporate investors. Uh, but we put together the money and then we go, and we make the film independently of Warner brothers, oh, <laughs> or, right, you know, right. or the other big, the other big studios. Um, okay. Now, to, to be fair, there there is some tie to the to the business at large, in that we we use actors in the Screen Actors Guild in the union. We you know we don't use non union actors, so we are independent, but we're using an established uh, organization to uh, to uh, hire our actors through. Um, they have separate contracts for independent work, so the rates are a little bit different and the terms are a little bit different, but there is that. And I'm in the Writers Guild, so we go through the Writers Guild for stuff. Uh, yeah. You'll see the Writers Guild and Screen Actors Guild logos at the end of Cruel Hearts. Um, but for the most part, we're not dealing with, we don't, we don't come into the situation with distribution lined up. We don't have, the money's not coming from a corporate well. Um, and, the, and also, we're not um, beholden to corporate oversight. If you make a film Warner Brothers, you have executives who are whose job it is to oversee your production. And, and if they feel like it, chime in, depending on, uh, on how powerful a filmmaker you are. I think Quentin Tarantino can get away with telling Sony to suck eggs if they want <laughs> yeah, to interfere with the movie. So. But for the most part, if you want the money, um, uh, you, you know, there are strengths. Whereas with us, it's smaller amounts of money coming from private investors. And, and so we have much more creative control over what we do. I, that's funny tarantino has an interesting way of working because he's he works through studios uh, his only his very first film was independently made and even that was financed through um through an established uh home video uh label um what he does is he he has enough money himself personally when he wants to make a film he just starts working on the movie he opens up an office he hires a casting director he hires some you know office staff. He starts looking at actors because he's who he is. He starts attaching actors right away. Right. Everybody wants to work with him. And then what he does is, while all that's going on, he he he's goes, okay, studios. I've got this new movie going. Who wants in? So every studio, of course, wants in with him. Mm-hmm. So what they do is they have to agree to basically pick his movie up. So it's already, script's already done. He's already got cast in place. He already has a lot of, uh, um, and he's Quentin Tarantino. So he has a lot of yes. juice. And it's already a, a moving train. They can't really do much to just mess with him. And he can say, you can't, you know, I get a final cut and all the things. Um, what they do is they then reimburse him for what he's spent in, in order to, to, to take over the production. So it's kind of a foolproof way in the way he's working that he can just kind of make what he wants to make. Um, kind of really, like
0: Francis Ford Coppola. He's a hundred million of his own money into megalopolis. and Right. 120. Amazing. I heard.
1: Yeah. Wow. He sold off part of his, uh, his um, wine empire, but he, it's funny. He talks about the fact that he, you know, he had his own company for a long time and it went belly up because he would take these big risks. And um, he was doing, you know, studio work throughout the eighties and, and, and nineties. Um, and really couldn't get arrested through the to the, the 2000s. Um, he he's like I I now work in the wine business, and I you know he would say he made a few films you know in the last 20 years, but he'd say like if I want to make a movie, I have to be like any other struggling filmmaker. I have my day job at the winery. I have to get up early and work on my script, or stay up late and work on my script, or work on the weekends when I want to shoot. I gotta take a vacation. So. He made a couple of uh, several small movies that way, I think with Meg- with, with with this one, *Megalopolis*. *Megalopolis*. He um, he basically was like, "Look, I'm gonna, I'm 80, I'm retired, I can yes. step aside and this. I have full time to devote to it." And yeah, he ended up like, he was able to take out enough cash because no one wanted to finance it as it was. Take out enough cash and his own to do it. But he was he has a very interesting point. He made in an interview recently. He said, "We forget." That the idea of an artist being wealthy or making a living at making art is a fairly new idea. Um, you know, throughout history, artists were working in other trades, and doing art on the side, or they had um, they had benefactors, you know, True. patrons who would pay for them to live and while well, they created art. But they were basically they didn't make any money. They were just their expenses were paid. They were usually broke and and at the at the mercy of Either you know charity or finding spare time, and it's really only a recent f- phenomenon that suddenly artists are, you know, are you know can be can be wealthy or make a living, and it's still and it's still only really a minority that do that. And that was an interesting point. And he said, so like I was able to do it for a while, but now I can't. So now I'm doing. Now I have a day job because I don't want I want to make the films I want to make.
0: Yeah. That is something, and uh, it's pretty with, wild. Yes, it is. And with you, how how do you harness, fully harness <laughs> your your creativity despite the apparent limitations?
1: Uh, you mean in terms of the movies I make, or yes,
0: yes, in the terms of movies you make that you write.
1: Limitations for my movies are are, are mostly defined by budget, because I can kind of do whatever I want. Okay. Um, I don't have again, I don't have corporate oversight. Um, the uh, I. But I have a day job. I, I, I write for TV. <laughs> I write, write for, work for, for Paramount CBS. Um, and uh, so I'm able to, you know, un- under the corporate umbrella. Um, so I'm able to make a living, which is great. I'm able to make a living doing something creative. I'm very, very lucky. Um, awesome. but, the, but, but I don't consider that necessarily art. I think it's an art to it. And I put as much, uh, you know, creative into it as I can, but it's fairly, it's fairly handcuffed what I do. Um, so when I make my own stuff, I'm, you know, I, I'm like, what, what story do I want to tell? You know, what's interesting to me and I, and I get in there and I, you know, and I just do it and I don't really have, I mean, I, am not to say like, I have create, I have final cut. I do. That's not to say you don't listen to people. Right. Like, you know, you definitely, yeah. I think it's a fool that shows the film to 10 people and all 10 say, this doesn't work. And you ignore <laughs> them and go final cut. I think that's silly. Um, I work with a lot of collaborators who have a, a big impact on, on on the films, and have a lot of uh, mine's the final mine's the final stamp of yes or no. But a lot of the ideas you're seeing uh, with regards to the cut, with regards to performance, they're you know they're not all coming from me. Um, they're coming from you know team of artists I work with, actors, producers, cinematographers, uh, production designers, uh, you know. All, everybody all the way down
0: yeah so with your like your writing process is there a pre-visualization that you do or uh, how Uh, how does that work for you
1: um usually there's a nugget of an idea um something small and my mind will wander and it will very quickly grow to something i go oh this is kind of interesting and i'll usually get Passionate about it enough, start putting words down. It's really that simple and dumb. Um, oh, no, no. I'll go, oh, yeah, I can, I can. And I'll start kind of feeling compelled to start um, writing. And I've been doing this long enough. I used to outline um, first, which is frustrating because I want to, I'd start, it's, it's like you, it's almost like you're seeing the, in, the movie in f- these f- f- very fast, complete bursts, in your, and you're trying to rem- not forget them. And get them down on paper before you forget what you just went through, you know, um, what you just saw in your head. And so, um, so that, that, that I, I would go, okay, well, I got to outline this thing to make sure it all works together. And I'd start outlining it. And the problem is the outline was the outline was very, very like super simple, super, super simple, one word representations for scenes, really bare bones. because I want to get through it as fast as I as possibly can. But as I start working, more detail and more detail and more detail is forcing its way into my brain as yeah. I'm thinking about it. I go, okay, I, start, I guess I play some of these things. I'm going to forget it. There's too much detail to remember. And so I start play. So by the end, like by the end of the outline, I'm writing full scenes. I'm like, what am I even, why am I even outlining at this point? Yeah. So now I've, I've done this long enough that I kind of sc- we'll sort of skip the outline process. I'll start right into scenes. And what I will do is I will in the same in my final draft document, which is what I write my scripts into, a program called Final Draft, I will have single line representations for scenes before or after the scene I'm working on, because that that in a way becomes an outline. I remember this, remember this, remember this, remember this, or well, I'll write fragments. So I kind of so it's pieces of outline do end up in the script that I eventually replace with full scenes, but I it usually comes to me in such a, a lightning burst that I'm just like, I, I just, just get the scene out. Just get the scene out. How, how is. Right. I can always, it's always easier to revise than it is to miss the inspired moment. And um, a lot of writers talk about what they call a vomit draft, um, which yes. applies to me too.
0: And me so, as well. <laughs>
1: yeah. So I will write, yeah. So like you, you write it as fast as you, you get it out of your head as fast as you can because it's much easier once you've caught it on paper, you can look at it and, and, and go, okay, this doesn't work. I'm going to change this or I can, this dialogue is rough or this scene doesn't, I need to come at it this way. And it's much easier to go in and revise, fix, once you've got something you're already down. So yeah, the vomit draft, I tend to write, I try, I aim for 10 pages a day. So wow, that's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot, but I'll, I'll knock it out. So a hundred page script, that's usually about, 10 days and I, I'm a, I'm a parent, so it slows down on the weekends, but mm-hmm. <laughs> the 10 days, uh, right. I try, I try for it. I try for it and not always hit it. Um, but then, uh, so, you know, let's say within two weeks, I've got a, a first draft and then usually I will put it aside, put it away for a couple months and mm-hmm. let it get out of my head. So when I look return to it, I'm responding to what I wrote and not what I, I'm still thinking I'm, you know, I'm not what my, where my head's at in my brain. I'm thinking about what I actually put on paper and come in it fresh. Um, Mm -hmm. that's kind of been my process. So, so first draft, so from first draft to final draft can take, you know, it depends on how long the rewriting process is. The rewriting process is is much slower just because I really do go through and try to fine tooth comb everything. Um, I have a friend who's a a very good writer and, and he, but he tends to do something very, he writes a rough draft, very rough. And he sends that out to people for feedback. Wow. And then revises and sends it out again, revises and sends it out again. And I'm like, I don't, I I don't see the benefit in that because I'm telling him things he knows I'm telling him I'm finding mistakes he knows are already there. I'm like, I, I want the feedback of other people to me should be looking for things I can't see. If I see it, and I know that's not right, not working the best that it can, it's you know, clunky or whatever, or this not or not clear, I feel like I should get as far I can, as I can along before anybody else sees it.
0: Yeah, that could be so, pretty then, uh, demoralizing yeah. as well, just sending it out and getting all this. Right.
1: So a lot of times a lot of times what happens is I'll send a script out and it'll either be like, I like it, I don't, <laughs> you know, based on the subject matter. It won't be like, oh, this is really a mess or this isn't clear. Like it's usually very clear. And they, there'll be a couple of minor t- tweaks, but otherwise, it's it's usually like I like it. I don't. It's, it's very blanket. Like you wasn't you you wrote this really sh- tight, sharp thing about a subject I hate or something stupid. There's no saving it. It usually goes back to the core idea of whether it works or not. But I tend to really, um, really because I you can read it and see what's wrong with it. Yeah, I can, and I want to get all of that out. Before anybody else sees it, but then there is a round where it goes to the people and they respond to it and they say yes, this works, or no, this trash, or yeah. <laughs> or this isn't interesting, or this is interesting, I, I, and um, and you yeah, know there'll be off some some fixes, but yeah, that's yeah, kind of the process.
0: That's that's uh, that is something you, you have to be very patient, obviously, in the writing process. Very patient. I mean, that's, that's,
1: Yeah, I think so. I think it's, well, it's funny that patience and and editing, uh, film editing both have kind of a similar vibe to them in that it's sort of about, it's it's like 10% talent, but ninety nine percent 90% endurance, you know, being able to stick with it over and over and go through and go through and go through and go through and and refine, 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 and not take out its spontaneity and and keep reading it with eyes or seeing it with eyes if you're film editing, um, as if you're seeing it for the first time you know, trying to forget, you know, what's about to happen. Does it work? Does the surprise work? Does this, you know, is this clear? You know, do we need more information, less information? Um, Do we understand what's happening? Those things, when you've read it so many times, being able to really sit back and read it again, fresh in a way that as if you've never read it before, because your audience will only probably see it once maybe twice if you're lucky a bunch but even so their response to it the first time is what's gonna make or break their experience
0: yes and i know that a lot of people anywhere in in the movie industry are inundated with scripts because it seems like everyone's writing a screenplay oh yeah Uh, what about you are you inundated with it as well yeah yeah
1: sometimes (laughs) i get a lot of like can you read my script um, it's funny in LA, the whole thing is you, anybody you see, to see how's that script going? They always <laughs> have an answer, no matter who it is. Everyone. hundred percent of people have a script going. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, uh, yeah. So I, I, on my website, it says, we do not accept unsolicited material. Cause I don't want to read your script. Um, and I do have a couple of actually friends of mine that I've read them. I, 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 do read them for friends and I have a couple saying in my inbox. I'm like, ah, I have to read them. point. <laughs> always, <laughs> always. And then I'm like weeks behind. Um, but it's just you know, it's it's um, it's yeah. tough. And it's also you have to when you when you read someone's script, you have to see what they're what, what do they want because you know are they are they looking for feedback? You know, right. like some like they say, they always say they are, but some people are actually like, I'm early in the process. I'm still working on this. I want feedback for reals. You know, I'm still tearing it. I'm still I'm still willing to rip, it, rip up the roots if it's not working. It Work on people, your screenplay
0: before you pass it onto the bathroom well, stall. Well,
1: no, <laughs> but like like other people, other people are like they've they feel it's done, and they want to show it off, and they want you to read it, or they want or they want you to read it because they think you might be interested in working on it, or they think you can pass it to somebody. And that's a very different experience. I don't tend to do those because I'm not probably unless I'm being offered something, I'm not going to read it to direct. I'm not just going to assume um, or, you know, and the, if I'm, if it's, I don't who am I going to pass it to that I wouldn't you know like <laughs> <laughs> pass them. If they say specifically like, Hey, can you read this for to see if any actors you know might think it's good. That's something different. But you know um, if it's just to show it off, like why am I yeah. reading it? Make the movie and let me, let me see it, but it just depends, you know. And, and same with with watching people's cuts in movies. The big thing I get more than people's scripts is people who are not who aren't in the business. When you, like, you run to them at Christmas time, or you know, you're visiting someone who's not in the business's house, and they have their friends over, and they, oh, this is, yo, you're a writer. Oh, I have a great idea for a movie. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. the idea, and they like, and they and like they feel like they're being, they're giving, they're gonna, I'm gonna give you this idea. You know, what you should make. You should make a movie about this. Usually it involves their, whatever their work is. Wow. It's usually a workplace thing. You know, I'm an, I, I, work in a, I work in a dentist's office. I think a movie about a dentist's office would be amazing. You know, I think the, the, the drama of the dental assistants, like that, seriously, like this is, they always have an idea and they always feel like they're, <laughs> they're, they're doing you a solid by giving it to you because you have no ideas of your own, clearly. And oh, I okay. always say, I listen. I, I listen and I go, great. I go, you should write that. Yeah, like, yeah. wow, no, but you're the writer. And I go, well, I, you should. It's, I, if I can do it, anybody can do it. I mean, There's plenty of books on how to write screenplays. Lots of
0: free software. Go for it. And so uh, what, how do you determine what makes a cut? Like, into, like if you have all of these ideas and then you're hmm. writing screenplays, uh, how do you decide which one you're going to film?
1: Uh, usually it's whatever one Sparks. Like it's mm-hmm. just like I go, I, I you know, like I this is in my head, and I gotta, I, I want to really, I gotta really, I'm gonna spend the next two, three years telling this story. Like that's really what it is. Um, it just depends, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, it it really has to do with with with, with that, which is something that you can't stop thinking about. You have to, you have to do more than fall in love with it. You have to want to be in a relationship with it for a long period of time. Um, like
0: like favor.
1: Like, My like, favorite. Favor, like favor, favor, um, is emotionally based on, um, on experience I had on Facebook where this guy that I knew in high school found me and, and friended me. I think a lot of people have that experience where if you're older than social media, people you fell out of touch with suddenly are back in your lives again. Um, and they're in your lives on social media. Like they, Oh, I went to high school with you 10, 20 years ago, whatever, Let's, you know, I haven't talked to you since then, but, you know, friend request. And those people are <laughs> in the room with you socially. Right. They're in the room with you with the person you worked with five years ago and your wife and your parents and your cousins and your, uh, your you know, your other film buddy and your other buddy. And like, all your people in your life are all of a sudden in the room at the same time from different eras. And sometimes these people from your past, you know, you were at the same starting line with them but you have nothing in common with them anymore, or maybe you didn't have anything in common with them even then. And you feel a sense of obligation to accept their friend request. Like, well, we went to high school together. Didn't really get along with them, but Hey, it's been a long time, you know, friend except. Um, so I had a, a guy that I didn't really get along with in, in high school. A friend request me. And uh, he was kind of a loudmouth kind of dude. And, and, kind of a creep and um, and years had not made him less so. But I accepted it. And there were a bunch of us from high school that were all on social media, all on Facebook specifically. And this guy, for some reason, decided to troll every single th- post I put out oh. about anything. You know, <laughs> like he would just like, well, you know what, and mansplaining stuff to me and the, the things. And I, I think I put something about an oil spill like um like in the Gulf, like oh god, this is terrible. And see he's like, Well, you know what? If you don't like oil, you should just not have anything come from trucks, and then you're, you know, and you just telling me like the truck just defending the trucking industry. And I'm like, What does that have to do with the trucking industry? No one's pro-oil spill. No one's pro-oil spill. The environmental environmentalists are not pro-oil spill. The company that who's lost millions and millions of dollars of oil is not pro-oil spill. No one's pro oil spill. Why are you defending the, it was just, he was just constantly chiming at me. And finally, at one point, I'm like, I don't have to be friends with this guy. Why am I, why am I friends with this guy? So I unfriended him and I blocked him and I'm like, great. And all of a sudden it caused this massive disruption among all the, did you hear that Paul Blocking like so and so. Holy shit! Did you hear yeah. the blah, blah blah blah? Oh, I could swear in the podcast. Did you hear that? Oh my god! And like, can you guys How could you do that? What did he say? What did you? Were you just being a baby? I was just talking to him, and, and I'm like, I don't. I just. I'm like, I don't. I don't like this person. I just don't like this person. I have nothing in common with this person. I don't. I don't need to be friends with this person. Why is there? Any, why does anybody feel I have? A, I have an obligation to be friends with this person, just because we happened to live in the same neighborhood and go to the same school. We were about the same age, you know, X number of years ago. Right. And wow. that was like, and it was, and people were like, oh yeah, well, I guess, I guess you don't have to be friends. Like they would, it took a minute for it to sink in that this was that, no, you don't have to do that. You know? And so, and so uh, favor <laughs> long, all the way around <laughs> no, the block. No, that's fine. Favor is based on that emotion in me, <laughs> that a, a, of like of feeling guilty for blocking this person, feeling I had this obligation, then realizing that I don't. There's really no reason that we n- need to talk to each other at all, and um, and so that's why it's about two people. Who, uh, know if you've no one out there has seen the movie, but the whole film is based on the idea that a friend helps you move, but a good friend helps you move a body. Okay. But the two friends are people that have been, their friends in quotes in that they've been, they've known each other since they were children, but they're in very different places. And the only thing really keeping them together is this nostalgic sense of obligation, but they're, they're fine with it. They don't spend a lot of time together, but once, once one helps the other one do something so heinous, it really brings in a sharp, Focus the difference between them and the, and the, and the power difference between them because of where they are in life and how that power balance struggles. And that, that to me was the entire film. And so things like that, like when I finished that script, I was still really feeling that vibe
0: um,
1: that, that Facebook had brought me. And so that's why I'm like, I'm going to make this, this movie, but also I wrote it for those two lead actors and I was very motivated to work with them. So.
0: Yeah. They're really good. Oh, um, thank you. They they, 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 I wrote those
1: roles with them in mind. And I'm like, I think this would be a good dynamic. And they would be good for these parts. And so I, I crafted it for them. And that was another reason, like, I really wanted to work with those two. Um, the other scripts didn't have <laughs> two singular parts of those two actors. So there you go. All
0: right, Patrick Day was a definite standout for me, at least. I, I couldn't help but become emotionally attached to his character. Isn't he good? Yeah, he is really good.
1: He's got uh, he a he's got a, no matter what he does, how fierce he gets, he's got this emotional human core that yes. just comes through whatever he does.
0: Yes. I noticed that in cool hearts as well.
1: Yeah. And,
0: uh, and it's amazing. You did the, the lighting is impeccable in these films. I, I don't know what oh, you did, but yes, I <laughs> loved it. You. And of course the art, I mean, I was more myopically focused on the artistic aesthetic of your films, but, But I could still appreciate all the everything you you wrote, the subtext and your dialogue and all that stuff. But yeah, they're beautiful uh, and well done. Oh, yes, I more focused on the the triptych in in one of the scenes at the the office, the triptych painting of the abstract landscape, (laughs) 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 the uh, the lighting, the the Caravaggio effect that you um, in the the parking lot in I think it was it was favor. Yeah, I love that. I yeah, that that was again that that was
1: more or less happenstance, but. Was it we 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 found we found that effect? Like, oh, if I put the camera here, I get this.
0: Mm. I like that. It's cool. Wow, yeah, but you still have an amazing artistic eye. Well, thank you. you. you, you that doesn't just happen. That's what I'm saying. Well, you, still have, you still have to have an eye for it, D- right? Dennis
1: Hopper, when he, you know, as a, who's a director as well as an actor, talked about that's called that's called um, embracing the accident. There's mm. a common, it's like finding things there's what you plan and then there's what you find. And you're like, oh, you know, um, uh, this works better, or this should, or this is happening on the day, this should be incorporated. And what's great about doing that, and I, I haven't done a documentary feature uh, as well, where you, you're embracing nothing but the accident. Um, it's very useful to kind of learn how to do that. And you, know, you plan, but you also can plan tightly, but like let go of your plan lightly if something better comes up. like. You know, um, uh, there was a in, in *Fluorescent Beast* is a scene that takes place in front of a fireplace and in, in a hotel lobby, and it was originally set to be written to be shot at the pool outside at night. And we were lit for it; we were going to shoot it, and it started raining. And we had to pull all the equipment very quickly, and that was our night to shoot. We're like, "Oh, we gotta, we gotta film this!" So we literally looked around the hotel that we were shooting in and said, "Well, we can; the lobby will work." And we ended up with this great looking scene, which when you see the movie, it's um, there is we were able to, able to basically place the actors in front of this roaring fireplace. That's <laughs> really awesome. Yeah, um, and to it. it's much more dynamic than than what was written. And just again, we, you know, hotel lobby permission is much harder to get than hotel pool permission. But whatever reason they gave it to us. So but yeah, you, mm-hmm. you, you find things, you find things on the day. Um, that, that scene, in that parking lot, we didn't have a lot of ways to really af- affect the lighting that was there. We can mm-hmm. enhance it. We could go with it. So we, so we, but yeah, like we found ways to shoot it that I think were really cool.
0: Yes, it was. And how much of your plan goes into like set decorating and uh, that part of it?
1: Uh, it depends on the movie, um, and the budget, uh, on fluorescent beast, we put a lot more into it. Usually a lot of it is oh. on our budget, moving into a location and using what's there. And you really more, you take away uh, things and add them uh, on, on fluorescent beast because it takes, it, it's more surreal. It takes place in kind of an alternate reality mm-hmm. a little bit. So we had, a, we had to have a lot more control and we were a lot more focused on um, like not showing corporate logos because we wanted to put our own corporate logos in because this, t- this doesn't take place in a world where any of the corporations you know exist and we had a color science that went with the actors with the characters um, our lead actor his color was blue and so he wore a blue shirt and he had blue jeans and his coffee cup was blue and his pens were blue and everything was you know around him was blue his his the corporate his corporate people there that he works for their key color is red so the big executive boss is a red tie. There's red files. There's red desktop backgrounds. There's red pens. There's a red cake at one point. Um, mm-hmm. There's a red carpet. And we, there's a scene where he's a meeting and we put him in front of a, a, a black wall with a bright red door that's behind him. So when he's sitting, he's literally a blue object boxed in a red box visually to show he's being kind of boxed in by these people. And that required a lot more, Control. So for that film, we put in a, a lot more effort. Um, but it's hard. It's hard when you when you uh, on our budgets that we work on because we don't have a lot of we don't have the ability to to, to fully create sets. We I think of all the films that you've seen, um, the only set we created was the back, the 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 office in the bar, the like the the backroom bar office in Cruel Hearts. That was a set
0: with the, the blue paint. With the blue paint. The, the blue That's wall. a set. Yeah.
1: Everything else is location. That's oh, the only okay. set in all the films that we actually manufactured. That um, was an acting, that was a rehearsal room in an acting school that Patrick Day owns. Mm. <laughs> oh. And so we were able to, to use it, but uh, we put in a fake wall and we put in um, filing cabinets and pictures and just oh. you know, created a space.
0: The artwork in Cruel Hearts is also great. The way. Oh, uh, yes, you. I I just, these are the things that pop out at me, right? Like the flourishes of red, you use a lot of red in there. I think there was a scene where there was a, a back alley, isn't a wall, a door that was red, like brick, mm-hmm. uh, the blue room, of course, his purple shirt. I love that. <laughs> these are the right. things that pop out. So the wardrobe is, is something that was eye catching as well. Okay. Uh, yeah. You can see th- that's like one of the best looking bars I've seen on screen. Oh, yeah, say. it's
1: a Skinnies bar in North Hollywood, like in California. Oh, oh, okay. anybody wants to go there? Skinnies.
0: Yeah. It's, it's
1: on like uh I believe.
0: And that is uh that caught my attention right away because it was it starts with these two guys sitting at the bar and then the one um guy tells uh the 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 bar owner that he slept with his wife. That's how it started. And I was like, oh yeah. boy, this is gonna be something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah was that like, was the
1: whole idea is that uh, and that's why we, sh- we shot that scene it's in one take one shot that whole opening like first three or four minutes mm-hmm. and we just wanted to because i feel like if you if you do it with cuts mm-hmm. i feel like you can there's there's some artifice of cinema there you know you have a little bit of you know uh a little bit of unreality to it. I felt like if if I placed the camera like you were sitting across the bar with no cuts, this just transpired. It'd be almost like you're in the bar while it's happening, and you'd be like, because you had that reaction. Like, what? What did he say? He say he sleeping with his wife. What? And it starts. To, you know, it, eventually yeah, yeah. it starts getting violent, and you're like, you're just because you're watching it from one fixed angle with no mm. cuts. You, there's no escape.
0: Yes, yeah, it's immersive. You know?
1: you're just, yeah, you're like, oh, fuck, like it's actually happening. Sorry, I'm swearing on your podcast more, but it's like it's actually happening in front of you, and you can't, you can't, you know. You're allowed
0: you're, one F-bomb, that's it. Thank you, okay. <laughs> Photos up. Can't,
1: you can't, like, you, if it's happening in front of you, there's no, you can't es- escape. So that was kind of the idea behind the way we shot that, in that, it, that it's just, it was originally longer, it was originally like seven minutes. We, we brought it down a couple of minutes um, to just try to, it was it was it was it was a bit initially too long and it went on too long. Um, but uh yeah, I'm glad that you you like that. That's the idea is to
0: yes. just
1: throw you right in with that one and not give you a chance to get out of it.
0: Yeah, there's just it's just great and like I said, the lighting, everything is so crisp and clear. And oh, un- unlike so many other independent films I see on TV, and o- <laughs> okay, it stands out. So The, m- the really, mud look, yeah. Yes, I really want people to see these films and the beauty of the films, especially art lovers, because you will enjoy them. They oh, are works of art, <laughs> at least to me. I'm sure this will agree, and I'm sure you agree.
1: I, that's the intent?
0: Yes, and so I can't wait to see fluorescent bees. And, oh, yeah. We're, we're winding down, <laughs> we're winding down. Um, so in closing, uh, what's in the pipeline for Sir Paul Osborne?
1: Well, uh, Fluorescent beasts needs to get distributed. I'm working on that right now. It's on the mm-hmm. festival circuit. Um, and um, we are, I'm working, I'm writing and I'm, I just moved to London and so I want to write something in London. <laughs> it takes place in London. Um, I'm not sure what, but I, I've got a couple ideas mulling around. But I like, the, I like the idea of shooting. I live in kind of this uh, weird little neighborhood called Acton, which is between Chiswick, which is a high-end, like, hoity-toity place. Very nice. And, um, and Shepherds Bush, which is where the BBC used to be. And Hammersmith, which is kind of the, the Hollywood of of London. And I kind of want to, it's kind of this strange little connected tissue neighborhood. And I feel like it's not really been exploited on camera before. Um, And because I'm a local and London is like living in New York, it's very, you're very neighborhood centric. So I know a lot of local businesses and the business owners. I'm like, I kind of would like to make something that feels grounded in the neighborhood, you know, Uh, has some, has some, some real texture to it. And I feel like if I'm being, I don't know, I, I, I feel like it hasn't been exploited on camera to be fun to make something that feels really lived in in the neighborhood. If that makes sense. That's not what the story is. That's the setting. Oh,
0: that sounds good (laughs) though because I know that in England, it's beautiful there.
1: Yeah, it's just, well, I mean, to my American eye, it's everywhere you go, it's like,
0: oh my God, Mm -hmm.
1: this thing's, you know, there's a restaurant in Chiswick like 20 minute walk from here. That's like going to be 500 years old in a couple of years. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. Yeah. And it's like, wow what so yeah i just i mean maybe it's me because i live here i my i want i want to get it on camera but
0: yes. yeah
1: i just feel like a lot like it's a, a, a really great restaurant uh, a few blocks from here called more munchies the whole, what's that it's it's a little little hole in the wall the guy here owns it, it's a real character and i'm like that, again it's not a story but that's a, a setting like, like i want to shoot something there yeah i want to capture that it's just got it's an unusual texture. It's an unusual place. I wanna put him in the movie playing himself. Yeah. And give him a piece of it. Just not as a major character, but just yes. Let him be part of it and, and, and make something that feels much more lived in. And
0: then some of these you know? buildings are like characters in your in your movie. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, yeah. I want something that's that captures <laughs> wait. the character of
0: <laughs> I <Okay>. can't wait.
1: <laughs> well, I gotta I got I gotta come up with what happens. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well welcome. will come, come. Maybe love a fever dream like James Cameron or something. We'll see.
1: I would love to have a fever dream like James Cameron. <laughs> we never know what's going to happen, right? We, we we don't know. No, no, it comes out. It comes out. It comes out of my my butt. Yeah, my head. Something somewhere somewhere. If it comes out of me, so we'll see.
0: And where can folks find you, Paul?
1: Uh, you can find me on all the socials. I'm Paul Makes Movies on everything. So I'm on Twitter. Yes, I still call it Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on. Um, Instagram as Paul makes movies. I'm on blue sky as Paul makes movies. I'm on threads as Paul makes movies. Um, our website is uh, conspicuouspictures.com, And if you go there, you can find access to where all the films are links to everything, including where fluorescent beasts screenings will be. Um, we just put the new one up there yesterday. Uh, it's screening in San Francisco um, uh, next month. And um, yeah, yeah, that's where I'm at.
0: That is great. And it, It was an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much. It was great doing it. Thank you for having me. It's so much fun. And I would love to have you back. Well, we we, we you'll have me, I would love to come. We can maybe do some Hitchcock or something, a top five Hitchcock, or maybe a deep dive into Psycho or The Birds or, I I don't know, something.
1: I'm always (laughs) up for something like that. If it's a movie, uh, I never... Don't want to talk about movies. Yeah. it's disgusting. I want.
0: <laughs> we so. can do that in the interim until we wait for this new project, okay? And then Correct. the distribution, cool. all the you. good stuff. Excellent. Okay. Awesome. All the best. Oh, thank you so much. You were listening to Journaling with PT and an informative conversation with filmmaker Paul Osborne. His information is in the show notes. Check him out on the internet at conspicuouspictures.com. Follow the podcast. Share, subscribe, all the things, and stay tuned. For more with Journaling with PG. Take care.